as you're training these horses, they're just animals, you know, they are, and they have such huge hearts and they do so much just because we simply ask them to do it and to try. So they're not always going to get it right first time and you have to keep going down and really, really being joyful and thankful for the improvements that you're feeling and know that you're on the right path. And I think this is really important for you know, non, you know, amateurs and young riders and all those people coming up and parents of these young riders, you know, too. Welcome to Practical Horseman's Podcast, featuring conversations with respected riders, industry leaders, and horse care experts. The show, which runs every other week, is co-hosted by Practical Horseman editors, and our goal is to inform, educate, and inspire. I'm Emily Daly, and this week's episode is with international three-day event rider Allison Springer, whom I chatted with earlier this spring at a local event. Allison is one of the country's top riders and has been consistently named to the USCF high-performance training list for the past decade. She's traveled all over the world and has won a myriad of FEI and national events with numerous horses over the years, and among her most famous partners was Arthur. The stunning 17-hand livered chestnut Irish sport horse gelding is now happily retired, but during his heyday in the 2000s, he and Allison were fan favorites everywhere they went. Even though he's an extremely sweet horse, he was known for having a bit of a wild, spooky side too. You'll enjoy hearing Allison talk about that experience. I've been lucky enough to have interviewed Allison dozens of times over the past decade, but this is the first time I've chatted with her about some of her training and teaching philosophies. Education has always been important to Allison, and she's worked hard to earn her A rating in Pony Club as a young rider, and later became a level four, the highest level, of the USCA's Instructor's Certification Program. She's trained with lots of respected riders over the years, including Olympic eventers Karen and David O'Connor, and legendary show jumper Katie Burdant, and she's created her own successful program at her home base in Northern Virginia. Allison tries to lead her students by setting a good example. Horsemanship is at the top of the list, and she always makes sure to put her horses first. Allison has the reputation for being an incredibly hard worker, and she's constantly polishing her own position and style to give her horses the best rides possible, making sure she's mentally and physically at her peak, and is also a huge advocate of rider safety. Even though just about every FEI-level event rider wears an ASTM-certified helmet in the dressage phase these days, Allison was the first to wear an approved helmet at the Rolex Kentucky 3-day event back in 2010. You'll hear more about what this experience was like during our interview, but it was thanks to her longtime sponsor, Charles Owen, that she was able to set a new safety standard on the world stage in style. A few weeks ago, Roy Burek, the chairman and leader of the Charles Owen team, sadly passed away. Allison remembered Roy fondly, saying, quote, I first met Roy many years ago when I decided to wear a helmet in the dressage phase at Rolex. I was the first person to do so, and Roy made sure I looked and felt great during it. That was the start of our friendship, and I've proudly represented Charles Owen helmets ever since. What an amazing trend that dressage day in Kentucky started. And without further ado, let's jump right into my conversation with Allison, where she chats about her training strategies, favorite eventing memories, how she's able to consistently stay at the top of her game in such a difficult sport, and what exciting new horses she has in the barn. I kick off the interview by asking Allison to share some of the keys to her success over the years. 
I think it's just my love of the horses and training the horses. Um, this is not an easy sport, as everyone knows. So you have to truly be in love with the process and the training of the horses because everybody wants the result. You know, you want the winning result, and that is important. But, you know, you have to be really – you have to embrace all the improvements along the way. And, and I think that's hard for a lot of people. What do you think are some of your greatest strengths as a rider and, and some things that you struggle with as well? Yeah, I mean, I think my biggest strength is the the basic training of the horse. You know, um, obviously, Arthur was one of my, you know, greatest partners. He was a very tricky horse. He's very spooky. He's very sweet. Um, and actually, a couple of my horses like Bonfire and, um, you know, some of the horses I had growing up, they were really tricky horses so I had bonfire actually when I was working for the O'Connors and that's when they had a partnership with Pirelli and so I was introduced to you know the, some of the natural horsemanship stuff that Pirelli does and whatnot and that was actually incredibly helpful in my training and understanding of the horse so that that to me is my biggest strength um so then I guess my weakness, you know, I think I think becoming a, a great cross country rider at the highest level and, um, you know, that that's that's a hard thing, you know, and I and I enjoy it so much. That's why I do this sport. So I've learned, you know, I'm always learning and um, I feel like I've really made great strides in the last couple of years, certainly with the help of, you know, Philip Dutton and Boyd Martin. They're both great cross country instructors and they've been incredibly helpful. So just a little background of you growing up. Um, how did you get started in horses? Um, you grew up in Illinois and you had a pony club background. You got your A rating at a pretty young age and did fox hunting, got your colors with the local hunt. So it seems like horsemanship was very important to you. What was it that drew you to eventing? Um, that's a great question. Um, I actually, you know, my parents bought property in Barrington Hills, Illinois, which is a great equestrian co uh, community. Actually, that's where the Duchess was, where, you know, Bruce Duchess was from and his father. Um, but, you know, my parents, my dad as a child always dreamed about having a little land and a tractor. He grew up on the south side of Chicago. My mom grew up in upstate New York and dreamt of being a vet. And, um, so they just bought the land with hopes that they could get any sort of animal and a tractor or whatever. Um, and I was the one as the little tiny girl that fell in love with the neighbor's horses just over the fence line. So it's a disease for kids. And I don't know if you know the story, but, you know, I, I'd sucked my thumb as a kid. And when it was time to go to kindergarten and, you know, they tried everything to get me to quit sucking my thumb. So then the bribe came and, you know, and I, I was into Barbie dolls pretty huge at the time. And so my dad thought it was going to be Malibu Barbie or something that would get me to stop. But the day of the offer of the bribe, what it would take to get me to stop sucking my thumb, which is what the dentist recommended. He said, have you tried bribing her yet? You know, because they did the Tabasco sauce on my thumb. They did all that stuff, you know. And um, so the day that the bribe was offered up, I had missed the school bus and went home with a neighbor who had a pony. So I rode the pony for the first time. And of course, I was absolutely hooked then. So when he asked what it would take, I said I wanted a pony. And I remember him like 
what, like a real one? But, you know, in the back of the mind, they, they wanted, they actually wanted to have animals. And, um, and I never cheated. I mean, I quit cold turkey that time and I had to, you know, I had to be thumb sucking free for six months and I did it. And, um, and then we got, you know, we built a little barn, a little two stall barn and the pasture and knew nothing, knew nothing about how to really take care of it. And, um, fortunately my brother's friend, uh, friend, his older sister was in pony club and she came to pick him up one day and kind of saw us and she's like, you guys need the pony club. And it was pony club that taught us everything. And pony club, you know, um, is what, you know, introduced me to eventing and really all, I mean, I just did everything. All I wanted to do is ride and trail ride and hunt or pony. It just, you know, I didn't really get super serious about eventing till, you know, young riders and all that later on. I just kind of did everything horsey. So that that's the beginning. And so you had mentioned, um, as you got older, you went and worked with the O'Connors and so they were probably some pretty big influences in your life. Can you tell me sort of about that next part of your training in, in your eventing life? Yeah, I mean, so I, I'm one of those that, that I went to college, um, and my folks would not let me take a horse my freshman year. And I actually appreciate that. My other sport growing up was ski racing, um, and so I was not one of these kids in high school that only did horses. I didn't go south in the winter. I didn't know about any of that stuff. I didn't know about the East Coast or it just wasn't something that I had ever really thought about. And um, so I guess it would have been my end of my sophomore year. I was, you know, I did, I was doing well in school. I went to Bowdoin College out in Maine. And um, so my you know, my parents agreed that I could have, I mean, it's just a part of who you are. It's so, and, and I appreciate that when you first go to school, you really have to give it a go. It's, it's a lot to it. So I was able to manage having, um, a horse, you know, later on in school, which was great. And, um, he was a young thoroughbred. And by the time I got out of school, um, he was just, you know, I think I'd done, I was wanting to do Radnor one star. I had some things that I wanted to do. I was actually, I was, a government and legal studies major at Bowdoin so I was applying for some quote-unquote real jobs and then I remember talking to my dad I'm like you know my dream has always been to go to the Olympics and and I think that started when I saw the 84 Olympics on TV and um you know I just I want to give this a go now and and so I did and he gave me you know I had to make it work. I galloped racehorses in the morning and I waitressed at night and I had some adventures in the afternoon. It takes a lot of work to grow a business. So, um, I can't remember my first intro to Karen and David. It, it must've been when I was in Florida in the winter. Um, I, obviously I trained with Ralph Hill, uh, growing up cause he was in Illinois and he was our area young rider coach. And, so I think, you know, when I was in O'Connor, I must have had a lot. I was excited. I mean, obviously, she's Karen O'Connor. You know, she's just someone who is just amazing. And that was my intro. And so I would spend time, even when I was in Illinois, I'd come out east before, you know, before Kentucky or Fair Hill and get some help. And then they offered me a job, um, gosh, a number of years ago. And, and I left Illinois and went out there. So it was great. That was my intro to them. So I just want to talk a little bit about Arthur. Um, I mean, you guys were partners for so long. Had, did you bring him along from the very beginning? Tell me a little bit about his background and kind of your journey together. Yeah, I mean, I bought him, I think he was, it was beginning of his five-year-old year. year um, and I was working for the O'Connors at the time. And, 
or maybe training. I can't remember. I must have been working for them, and I was looking for horses. And actually, Randy Ward um, had had ridden him some. Michael Godfrey owned him, and uh, and this is when you know Randy had Randy knew all of Bruce's horses and whatnot. And he had told me he's like, you know, I rode this horse. He's he's not an amateur ride. He's like, I don't even think he's really every professional's ride, but he is a super athlete. And if you can get past the first jump. And maybe past the second jump, he's pretty, you know, so he thought he was such a super athlete. And obviously, Randy knew a lot of really um, great horses, and I, I really respected his opinion. I went out and tried him, and he really was just wonderful. So, um, fortunately, that was a time when, you know, the O'Connors were working with the Pirellis because I got him back there, and I couldn't make it down to the field um, to ride him. He just kind of rear and spin back and... Um, Charlotte Dennis was the girl that they had that winter and she was kind of headed up all the Pirelli operations in Europe. And so she spent a lot of time with me just working with him on the ground and getting him a little bit more curious about things, but it was, it was a long road. He's a spooky horse. So, um, I learned so much from him and I say where my cross country ridings, you know, gotten better and better. Um, I think sometimes he taught me maybe to be a little too, tentative because of the spook and um but he also taught me so many amazing amazing things so looking back over the career what do you think were some of the highlights um of of his wins I mean you guys have had so many over the years what kind of stuck out to you yeah I mean I always remember winning Red Hills that World Cup class at Red Hills now Arthur was a you know he's probably one of the scopiest horses on the planet I never had a problem jumping with Cotsmore Leap or anything like that that horse could just fly over those huge jumps but he was not a careful show jumper because of his spook because of his tension um and so he could have you know, I remember my first year at Kentucky, he might have had five or six rails. I don't know. I mean, he was a tough, tough horse to show jump. So I really spent a lot of time working with Katie Prudant. Um, and she was so enormously helpful. She is she is such a great woman as far as, you know, teaching me how to have better mental game in the ring. You know, how do I train him at home? How do I warm up? And then when I go into the ring... Like, how do you keep the focus? Because you definitely can't go in there being like, oh, my God, I hope I don't have all these rails again or whatever. Like, you have to have such good mental game. And I remember before that Red Hills, when I left Wellington, she's so funny. I remember she's like, Allison, make sure you call and let me know how you did. I'm like, oh, sure, Katie, I will. And then I'm walking to my car and she's like, oh, Allison. I'm like, yes. She's like, don't call me unless you've won. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, okay, that was weird. And I keep walking. And she's like, Allison. I'm like, yes, make sure you call me. <laughs> and it was so fun. And it was, he was good in dressage. The cross country was so hard there back in the day. They were really good courses. Mark is a great course designer, but they were hard for our country. They were tough. And he did it. I mean, that horse did it all. And that show jumping on the train, it was so, so tough. And I just, I did, you know, I jumped my bounce in the morning and I had my warm up and I just had such good mental game. I'm like, I just got to go in and ride it this way. And, and he jumped a clean round. I think I beat Boyd by maybe a tenth of a point. And um, that was a huge win. That was the first time where it really came together. And I was thrilled. And, you know, I got that little Mercedes for the year. So that was fantastic, too. Well, Arthur, I remember, I mean, even for him being a spooky horse, he was one of the kindest, sweetest horses in the barn. 
Yeah, no, and he still is to this day. He's very, very personable. He is a very sweet horse. And um, so, you know, he's he's just, he's been a great friend of mine. And, and um, it's been fun in these past year or so um, since he's retired from eventing. He's actually taught some of my working students and he's really taught them to ride well, which is fantastic. And he, he has loved that job. So it's really neat to see that. So you were talking about mental skills and how Katie was really helpful with that. How has that sort of translated and helped you grow as a rider? Um, sort of, you know, being able to take things in stride and handle disappointments, whether it's in the show ring or horses in general, you know, with just dealing with things that can happen. Yeah. I mean, y you ask any rider, you are in this sport, you're you're probably crying more than you're celebrating, and that's the truth of it. It's just the nature of owning these horses and animals, and it's a tough, tough sport. Um, but I think that, you know, and especially when you're um, an upper-level rider and professional and you're trying for teams, you know, there are so many armchair quarterbacks out there, and there's a lot of negative stuff out on the internet and social media and everybody can ride your horse better than you or they know how you're, you know, these are people watching from afar. And um, so you have to, you know, you have to be able to know how to deal with that and not let, you know, it's, I've always said you have to build your community around you and your support system. And, and that's the most important thing. And certainly having owners and sponsors and I'm, I'm really blessed that that everyone in my life right now like they get it because I've certainly had some owners in the past that didn't get the process or understand that and that's you know they want to show up the party and they want to win and that's it and winning is important but you can't go out and um, you know it's, it just takes a long time to produce these horses it's a tough tough sport so um that's 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 a huge thing but certainly as you're training these horses they're just animals you know they are and they have such huge hearts and they do so much just because we simply ask them to do it and to try so they're not always going to get it right first time and you have to keep going down and really really being joyful and thankful for the improvements that you're feeling and know that you're on the right path and I think this is really important for you know, non, you know, amateurs and young riders and all those people coming up and parents of these young riders, you know, too. Um, you know, we see some pretty competitive parents out there. Like, this is, a, you know, the process. And I really feel like, you know, and I talk to my own students about it, like when they come out of the dressage ring at a show and they feel so happy because they felt the improvement, you can't, you know, then then maybe your score still puts you in the middle of the pack, and then you can't let that put you in a foul mood and think that you haven't improved because it's the same score you had two years ago when you weren't as good, right? It's like you got to really understand this path that you're down, and getting a good score in the dressage ring or your final score is, you know, it's it's not as simple as just being a better rider today. There's so much that goes into it. So I think really, really believing in, in the process and having joy in the training is, is important. And I'm not saying like, just throw out, you know, disregard bad things that happen. You have to acknowledge it. You have to understand where you can improve and get excited about that. And I've always, and I think that's when I work with Katie Prudent, because she's not a fluffy instructor. 
at all, but it's always in the path to getting it right. She's not someone who's just, she's not an instructor, and you see this a lot, where you see instructors just yelling at a student because they're not getting it right. It's, she's never does that, never. It's, it's like, nope, you can do this better. This is the path. This is how you go down. It is such good instruction, and, and I do feel like I'm, teach a lot like she does. I'm so appreciative of, of what I've learned from her. Talking about eventing the sport sort of as a whole, um, what's been the hardest part, part of the sport for you? I mean, you've been competing at the top level for a long time. You've seen the evolution of the sport. How do you think it's changed for the better, for the worse, just different? Are you preparing for top level events differently than you did 10 years ago? Um, well, I think, you know, it is interesting and I've seen an article recently, um, you know, I do, I do, there's so much emphasis on the show jumping right now, which, um, I don't know if that's the best thing, you know, I, I, I don't know. And I, I think we're going to see some changes, um, with that probably in the future, I, where the sport has evolved so much, it's been a bit confusing of what sort of horse do we need? And it's really hard to... You, you know, you, you pick a, you know, a great cross-country horse that you're trying to teach technical stuff or you get a technical horse that you're trying to teach to become a cross-country horse. It's, it's really hard to have one that just does it all naturally. Um, so I, I think that's really difficult, um, you know, p to produce the uh, the those results right now. And I, I think it's hard for everyone. And so the hardest part continues to be... Um, I think the mental game when you go in the ring, like I, the preparation to get a horse in the ring and then to have that. And I think that's for professionals, for amateurs, for young riders, for everyone, like the mental game side of this and the sports psychology is so fascinating. And I think putting effort into that and studying about that is huge. I mean, when I first started training with Philip Dutton years ago and I started training with him because I had Arthur as a young horse, and I, I, I knew that he could help me a ton with him. I knew that I needed someone like him to help me with this cross-country and whatnot. And one of the first things he told me, he wanted me to read Sacred Hoops, which was uh, Phil Jackson, who was, which is neat for me because we were a huge Chicago Bulls fan. But, you know, that was something that he had suggested, so that was interesting. Um, you know, I talk a lot about the yoga I do, like Bikram yoga was something that was very intriguing for me because it not only does it make my body feel amazing, which is good, the, the fitness in the, the body part of it is good, but it makes you become really practice becoming comfortable with, with the uncomfortable. And that's important because you're always going to be, you know, nervous or stressed out or whatever, but you have to learn how to control your mind and do that and I think that's a huge part of of the sport so as the sport has evolved and changed so much and it's it's become harder to be a really good competitor and and I don't feel like I'm someone who could have 10 top horses or six top you know go, I think that's so many horses you know but then the flip side is like I don't have as much mileage and much you know experience competing as you know someone like a Philip or a Boyd or a Buck or whatnot but um, I just know how my business is and the amount of help I have and, and what I can do like it's it's better for me to be focusing on a few horses um, so that mental game side is huge
Well, and I think that's probably something that you share a lot with your students when you're teaching. So in addition to sort of the mental aspects of the sport, what are some of the other training things that you like to work with your students, your horses? Um, are there certain exercises, gymnastics? Do you feel yourself repeating a lot of the same, you know, phrases to them during training sessions? What are some things that you really feel strongly about uh, in your training? Um, well, Anyone who's clinicked with me or in my lessons, I'm, I'm really strict about correct equitation, okay? Because you see too many people compromise, you know, their position on the flat to make up for a horse's lack of throughness or alignment or whatnot. I think a horse always improves their rider's correct equitation, and I, you know, struggle with it myself all the time. So that is a huge, um, huge part of my training, and I love, you know, I... I've had a number of students that have won the technical merit award, <laughs> which is to me, I'm like, that's great. Like I got another one and that's fun. That's just, you know, at the training level cross, you know, people judging them at the training level. I think cross country at Pine Top, it's happened a couple of years for me and um, for, for my students. And that's, that's an honor for me. Like, that's really nice. You know, um, obviously they're, have good understanding and, you know, good position and all that sort of stuff. So that's a big part of it. And then really the understanding of how we, you know, how horses learn. Okay. And so a lot of, a lot of times I sound like, you know, that Pirelli system or that O'Connor system of, you know, you know, it's just as simple as pressure, release of pressure, but the release of pressure is actually your more powerful tool than the pressure itself. And so, you know, that's a lot of, I want people to understand how to problem solve on their own. I, I you know, it's, it's never a good thing when you're teaching a junior or an adult amateur or someone and they're like, well, my horse started doing this. I know it's wrong, but I didn't know what to do. So I didn't do anything at all. It's like, okay, well, you actually trained it to do it all week, right? <laughs> by releasing the pressure, by making it easy. Like how, how do you, what do you feel? How do you respond to that? And getting people to understand how to use their correct equitation to train the horse better. I think one thing I've always noticed is you're a huge stickler for safety. And one thing that I think you've been a huge advocate about is wearing helmets 100% of the time. You were one of the first people to compete at the top level of FEI eventing without a top hat. Uh, you know, you wore an ASTM SDI approved helmet uh, at Kentucky, you know, at a four-star event. I think that was back in 2010, I think would have been. Um, what were some of the responses you got for that? And why did you decide to go ahead and do that? Well, you know, I lost my brother to head trauma. He was in a car accident. Um, and actually, one of my very best friends um, had a, a TBI and um, was in a coma and had to relearn everything. She was at Spalding Rehab Institute for a long time. And that, that happened right in front of me. We were cross-country schooling, and I, I honestly thought she was dead. Um, and they airlifted her to Inova Fairfax. And so that's when it when it touches you personally, it's it's very new. So I always because of my, you know, being in Illinois and Pony Club and all that, I always wore a helmet growing up. Now, when I moved out to Virginia, we were required to wear a hunt cap when we were riding. And that's all. And, and when we went down to Florida in the winters, we only had to wear a hunt cap when we were jumping. A lot of people were wearing baseball hats. So my idols were doing that. 
And so that's what I started doing. And I remember my mom asking me, she's like, oh, for Christmas, I want to get you the best helmet, whatever the prettiest one, whatever it is, I'm going to get you a helmet and I don't care how much it costs. I'm like, I don't, I'm like, I got great helmets. I don't need it. And then I was kind of thinking, I'm like, oh, I'm such a terrible daughter, you know, like what, a, you know, what a horrible thing for a mother to have to go through that again. And then so I started wearing helmets again, and it was important to me. And that year at Kentucky, they were doing a test event with the dressage in preparation for WEG that was going to be there. And all the dressage, I think that must have been Courtney King's year that she was injured. So all these dressage riders were warming up in their helmets. It was a huge statement. But then they'd switch to their top hat before they go in the dressage ring. And one of my sponsors, uh, Clint Joyner of Haygain, was there. And he was asking me, he's like, and, you know, and I, he's like, well, why... It's like, I don't get it. Why don't you guys just, why, if it's the helmet's important to you, because we were talking about it, it's like, why don't you just wear one? You know, I'm like, well, my only reason to him was that because nobody else was doing it. And then I kind of, it made me, it made me think about it a little bit. And I'm like, this is just silly. So I went over to the Charles Owen um, booth and I said, you know, I'm, I had a Charles Owen helmet, but it was, you know, black and gray, and I had a blue shad belly, and I'm like, you know, I'm going to wear a helmet tomorrow in dressage. Do you guys have a blue one that might, and they're like, oh, heck yeah, we'll find you one, <laughs> like, so they were excited, and that's how it began, because it just, when you step back and you think about it, and your only reason about not doing it is because nobody else is, and the reason why you stop wearing helmets is because that's what you're idol. I'm like, that's, that's bad, like, things can change, and it needs to change, and, and honestly, I think it looks better. I think that people these days wearing top hats actually look a bit silly now. So that's my personal thing. What are um, some hobbies or non-horse activities that you like to do? I mean, I know in this sport, especially horses just take over your whole life, but how do you stay mentally centered and, you know, some self-care and just enjoying things outside of horses? Yeah. So I love tennis. I love watching tennis. I love all that. So I actually, even down here in Aiken, I um, have a tennis lesson every Tuesday at 3.30, I think, because you have to do your fitness outside of riding. That's incredibly important. And I love, I think tennis is great for your mental sharpness and it's a great workout and all that. So I love, you know, when I can do that, I enjoy doing that. I have a really... um, You know, I know for me as a competitor and trainer of my horses, I am best when I am happy and relaxed. And I think, and that's important for the atmosphere in my barn too, and for the horses. So I really try to maintain that. And I I know I'm only that way um, because of the wonderful group of friends in my family. And I do try to find as much as possible balance for it. And, um... You know, I think like my, the girls that work for me work really hard and they're amazing, but I also try really hard to not keep them in the barn till eight, nine o'clock at night. I don't think that's healthy for anyone, you know, so I do try to, you know, help with like figure out stall cleaners or whatnot so they can focus more on the horses and be done, you know, by four in the afternoon and just do lates or 3.30 sometime, you know, like we really try because you need you need to be able to have balance. You know, your brain needs to be fresh. You need to relax. When you're tired and distracted and upset, the horses pick up on every little thing, and it's it's no good. 
So speaking of horses, tell me a little bit about some of these exciting ones you have coming along. You have some really neat up and coming stars. Who should we be keeping an eye out for in the future? Yeah. Um, well, this weekend at the you know Aiken uh, Grand Prix of Eventing, I have business then, and I'm you know I was he was sent to me as a four-year-old. Andrew Motion and Janie Motion in Middleburg, Virginia, had him. Um, they had rehabbed and he had actually had an injury as I think a three-year-old before he raced so he had trained at the track um he's a very well-bred thoroughbred and so they did a beautiful job rehabbing him and sent him to me end of his four-year-old year and um to teach him to jump see if he'd be saleable as an event horse and um he did everything right he was always such a good jumper and he was a beautiful horse and I just you know you just always you got to try horses and get that feeling. And I always had that feeling about him. Um, so yeah, he, he's exciting. I, his six year old year, I sold half of him to this wonderful woman, Anna McQueen from Middle, Middleburg. So we're partners, we're the business Ben partnership. And, um, and she's amazing because she gets the whole process. Cause this is a quality, like big time CCI horse His you know, his, um, it's hard for a thoroughbred to stay relaxed and focused. He put in a gorgeous dressage test yesterday, and that takes a while to get in. And I actually, he did have two down in the show jumping. It was a tough course, but he warmed up so well, and he was actually allowed. I know he's so close to getting it. This is a horse that wants to get it right. I will do the cross country here today. He will go slow around. He's now not in it to really win, but um, so it wouldn't be the best thing mentally for me to be s sprinting around, but... It, this he is super exciting so that's a fun thing um the other advantage i did sell lord willing lord willing was an amazing horse um that i've had great success with is a really wonderful uh group of owners on him and he is he was never crazy about ditches he was so good with everything else but the ditches made him a bit nervous and the truth is at the highest level they're just they, ju they just have to be kind of just not even bad an eye about them um so it was sort of a hard decision because he's you know young and sound and all that um but i was in wellington he's such a good jumper he's so broke and you know the opportunity came up for a really good home for him julie coles has him and that's i'm so thrilled that they have him so he was sold so i am actually looking for another young horse um and that that process will begin soon um but I have my student, Katie Lichten. She is a freshman in college, so her younger horse that needed a bit more training, um, I feel so blessed that they've um, entrusted that horse with me to, you know, put some time in. He just moved up to advance. He's really pretty special. Um, and so, you know, we've put an application in for the Pan Ams for him. We'll see. I mean, it's a little hard because our team didn't qualify last time, so, um, but, but it's, it's a really good horse. Um, I have this Connemara cross that I'm just so over the moon about. His name is Crystal Crescent Moon. Uh, Nancy Winter owns him and bred him. I have a ton of Connemaras for her. Um, Nancy Winter, if you don't recognize the name, was short shortlisted for the 84 Olympics on a Connemara cross named Trailway in Belfast. And so, um, she names all the, her ponies after the moon they were born under. So Crystal Crescent Moon is, is ours. But he just moved up to preliminary. He's a six-year-old this year, so quite young. But um, he's by Catherston Dazzler out of uh, 
you know, thoroughbred Connemara cross, so he's a quarter Connemara, but he's just been so much fun. So I don't know. I keep telling everyone he's the next opposition buzz. He looked kind of like an ugly, stocky little pony as a baby, and now he's just blossoming into this beautiful horse. And um, so um, who knows what he does? He's already, you know, exceeded my expectations of what he looked like as a three-year-old. So I have his full younger sister, uh, No May Moon. <laughs> and... Uh, so those are, those are kind of the few right now of those, um, you know, Fernhill Cassano has um, unfortunately had an injury in April last year, so he's rehabbing and coming back. Um, but yeah, so looking for another, another one and, or two, we'll see, and just begin in that process. Just as my final question, um, as you look for horses, what's one of the key things or things that you look for in a future event horse? Yeah, they really have to have um, good gait. I've, I've recently now have been become a bit more um, uh, focused on the walk because I haven't done a good job picking that in the past. The walk's really important in the canter. I do a good job. I mean, I think I do a really good job producing the most trot out of a horse. And the trot is a gait that you can improve. But they need to have three quality good gaits. And I actually like a horse to not have extravagant big movement especially in the trot that's for me looking for an upper level horse because i feel like the more extravagant they move naturally the harder it is to keep them sound with all that so for when you're looking for you know maybe you know adult amateur young riders who really want to go out and be competitive right now they're not gonna those horses might not have the same conditioning and whatnot requirements and kind of need to um, so that that would might be a different sort but i really um and i actually I always, even on a young horse, I try to do a lead change each way. A good horse just naturally kind of does a lead change each way. So if they don't get from one lead to the next, and it doesn't have to be a trained lead change or not. I mean, these are just basic things on a young horse. But if they, they can't do it, it's just so much better when they naturally do it and have a good walk. Then, then things get actually a heck of a lot easier. Um, I've certainly always been drawn to a horse that has natural good instincts in their in their technique jumping so that's important like I said like as so much of it comes down to a feel like there's just weird thing like this yeah I got I, like I feel it with this horse you know and because you'll ride a ton of nice young horses and even though it feels it it suits and it likes it you still have to have that like yeah I think I think that's my horse so I don't think I have it figured out yet but those are the th some of the things I consider well, I think that about wraps it up. Thanks so much for your time, Allison, and I look forward to sharing your story with our listeners. Thank you for listening to Practical Horseman's podcast. I really appreciate your feedback, so if you have time, please rate and review the show, and join us again in two weeks. Upcoming conversations are with Hunter Riders Shelley Kemp and Liza Boyd and event riders Selena O'Hanlon and Dom and Jimmy Schramm. You can subscribe to our podcast at iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Thanks again for listening.